Amen. Please remain standing. Take your Bible together with me to, and open it to Isaiah 57 as we make our way through the book of Isaiah <clears throat> tonight. We find ourselves in chapter 57, 1 to 13. I will read it in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away. While no one understands, for the righteous man is taken away from cal calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds, who walk in their uprightness. But you draw near, sons of the sorcerers, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the ox, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the cliffs of the rocks, among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed. And there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost, you have set up your memorial. For deserting me, you have uncovered your bed. You have gone up to it. You have made it wide. And you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have locked on nakedness. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoy far off and sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. Whom do you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to, to heart. Have I not held my peace even for a long time and you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away, but he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Amen. 
Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, as we now come to the hearing and exposition of your word, we ask you, Lord, to illumine our hearts and our minds to understand your word, to understand and grasp the weight and the importance and the lesson of our text tonight. Humble our hearts before your mighty hand so that we would become humble students of your word. Produce fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the life of each and every one of us as the result of the proclamation of your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Often when uh, a nation is at war with another nation, the disappearance of young men who participates in the war to defend their land will be noticed and honored by all people in their land. People in their land would become concerned about the death and the disappearance of uh, young men in the country. They feel losing another generation in the land. But the irony that we see here in our text tonight is the prophet Isaiah is lamenting the disappearance of a group of people in Israel, in Judah, who go absolutely unnoticed. Notice verse 1 and how Isaiah laments about that the righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Young men in Israel, men in Israel, righteous, who fear God, who loves God, were disappearing, and no one was noticing, no one was concerned about the untimely, unexpected death of the righteous in the land. The death of the righteous in Israel. The sudden and unexpected and providential death of the righteous. And when that happens, nobody cares. No one takes it to the heart. No one was asking why. What is providence doing? What is God, in, God is doing? Why is this righteous suddenly is gone? Have you been there as believers? You know this righteous man in the land, in the society, maybe in the church, and suddenly and unexpectedly the man dies. And he's gone. Do we 
take a moment in our life as Christians and ask why. Do we consider the effect of the departure of that righteous man? Tonight in our text, the lesson for all of us is God is the refuge to the righteous and the judge of the wicked. Death, the reality of death, should cause us to ask who is God for those who obey him, for those who are righteous, and for those who are wicked. Because the scripture you see in Isaiah 57 shows us that God is different for those who are righteous and for those who are wicked. The righteous will enjoy peace and tranquility and comfort and hope even, even through death. But the wicked will be judged by God. And as, as we think about that theme, I want us to consider tonight first the death of the righteous in verses 1 and 2. And then the, the arrogance of the adulterers. In verse 10 to 12, the pride of the, uh, the adulterers. And then thirdly, the way to safety in verse 13. So first consider with me the death of the righteous. Verse 1 and 2, the righteous man perishes and no one lays it to the heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. Now the word perishes here indicates that this death that Isaiah is talking about, it is not a normal death. It was a sudden death. It was unexpected death. By God's providence, by accident. We all experience that as Christians. Someone whom we know. Someone who knows God. Someone who fears God. Someone whom we consider righteous in Jesus Christ. And very useful for the work of God's kingdom suddenly dies. And that person is no more around us. His death is sudden and unexpected. And the fact, beloved, is death is real. Death is real. There is no reason that the righteous should not die. But the reality, you know, all people die. Righteous and wicked, all people die. But here Isaiah is saying... A righteous man suddenly and unexpectedly dies and no one learns from it. That's what Isaiah is saying. When God takes the righteous from the land, from the society, from the church, suddenly and in untimely manner, do we notice it? Do we become concerned about it? Do we learn from it? 
in Psalm 12, 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. You see, David the psalmist recognized he saw the death of the righteous, the absence of the righteous from among God's people. And he said to himself, it is time to cry to God. It's time to pray to God. So he prayed to God saying, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. David was saying, Lord, what are you doing? What is providence doing? If the righteous are gone, if we don't have the righteous around us anymore, does it mean the wicked will increase and wickedness will, will increase? What does this mean? What are you teaching us by the death of the righteous? It is like what the psalmist said in Psalm 90, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Those who love God, those who are concerned about God's righteousness here on earth, when the righteous dies, they think about it. They notice it. They don't ignore it. Proverbs 28, 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. See the reality of what we experience in life as believers. You see, God removing the godly from a society is like removing the salt from the earth. That uh, life and faith. The life of the righteous that preserves godliness in the society is gone. There are times that the removal of the righteous before time, providentially, serves as a precursor to judgment. Not all the time. But there are times that you and I need to be very, very concerned when godly men leave us. When godly men are de departed, you and I need to pray. You and I need to count our days here on earth. And ask God to give us wisdom. So that we would be like them. We would be like salt to the church of Jesus Christ, salt to our society. The Puritans, those of you who have read Puritans, they were concerned, you know, they were interested not only in the church, but also in the state. And they would gather together and pray at least once in a week for the righteous to take places in the state. 
positions in the state and, and influence the society. They would gather in a home of one Puritan or in the church building and pray, pray that the righteous would increase. That the righteous would not be taken by providence suddenly and unexpectedly from the society. But they would, they would remain in the society until God takes them away and influence the society with godliness. You see, the, 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 the sudden departure of the righteous should always serve as instruction in your life and my, my life. So what Isaiah is teaching tonight, teaching us tonight is the removal of the righteous from the land should cause God's people to pray, should cause God's people to notice, should cause God's people to think about their own deaths. All of us here, one day will die. One day we will be no more. We're gone. The question is, do we really think about it? Who would want to think about his own deaths? I had a professor in Greenville and our professor I always remember telling us one of your duties as ministers of the gospel is to prepare God's people to die well and as I was preparing this message I remembered his his exhortation to the students in the class one of your duties as pastors is to prepare the saints to die well That's what the death of the righteous should do in our life. So for us, it's a challenge. For us, it's a lesson. For us, it's a message. What about for them? What about for the righteous who dies? Isaiah tells us, for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. You see, death for the righteous is not punishment. Death for, for the righteous is not God's wrath being revealed upon them. Death for the righteous is God sparing them from calamity. Calamity that they have no idea that it is coming upon them or upon the land. God takes them away. He spares them from the impending wrath of God upon the land. John Calvin, in, uh, in his book, in, uh, on the book of Isaiah, he, he talks about the uh, untimely, uh, you know, according to John, John Calvin, untimely, de 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 um, um, untimely departure of Martin Luther, the reformer. After Luther died, Germany was in trouble. War, famine, Crisis after crisis. It was bad in Germany. 
And Luther, every time he preaches, he was preparing people in Germany. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching faith. Godliness. Obedience. Then he was gone and the whole nation was going through a very, very difficult time. But where was Luther? Luther entered into his rest. Listen to Isaiah. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. So there is peace for the righteous. When the righteous dies, number one, they are taken away from calamity. God spares them from um, unknown calamity, something that they don't know. God knows, but they don't know. But uh, not, uh, not the wicked. At the end of chapter 57, listen to Isaiah. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There is peace for the righteous. Through death, in death, there is peace for the righteous. But listen to Isaiah. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Now I want you to ask why. Why there is no peace for the wicked? Well, the wicked choose a life that is separated from God. That's their choice. It's not God's fault. The wicked choose a life that doesn't obey God. The wicked choose a life that says, who needs God? I don't need God. Let him, you know, go away from me. I don't need God. So they choose. It's their choice. And then the result is no peace. No peace, no joy. And when they die, they don't enter into the peace, into the rest. In Romans 14, 8, Paul said, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. That's the righteous. That's the righteous. That's the destiny of the righteous. If you are righteous tonight, which means if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, if you have been reconciled with God, with God through the work and the merit of Christ on the cross, when death comes, when you die, your death will be the death of the righteous and your destiny will be peace and joy. What kind of peace? What kind of joy? Eternal joy and eternal peace. What about the wicked? You see, the lesson for you and I is when the righteous die, we should think about our own deaths very seriously. What about the wicked? You know, the arrogance of the idolaters. Isaiah, Isaiah explains 
the condition of their life in verse 3. But you draw near, sons of the sorcerers, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? What is he talking about? Who are these people? Now, first of all, you don't need to think that these are the pagan nation or pagan people. These are the Israelites. But these are Israelite rebellious. Israelite in religious idolatry. And do you know? Do, do, and I want you to see why I'm saying that. But you draw near. You see, the pagan will never draw near to God. But these people, righteous by name, religious people by name, outwardly, but inside of them are what idolaters, sons, and the offspring of the adulterer. And the loose women, they pretend as if they love God. They pretend as if they are in the covenant, but they are not. They don't love God. They, they hate God. They don't obey God. Everything that they do is against what they confess by their mouth. But their heart is far from God. They claim that God is their God, they belong to God, they belong to the covenant, but uh, all their deeds are evil. He even calls them offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. And God tells them, you want to tell me that you worship me, but let me tell you who you are. You are the children of Transgression. Are you mocking? Are you mocking at the wisdom of God? The omniscience of God? I know you. I know your heart. You don't love me. Even though you say you love me, but you don't love me. Notice verse 4, whom are you mocking against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? Then verse 5, you who burn with lust among the, the ox under every green tree who slaughter your children in the valleys under the, the cliffs of the rocks. You see, these Israelites, they, they, uh, they believed in uh, sorcery. In the Old Testament, sorcery was an abomination. And people who practiced sorcery were punished by death. And you ask why? Why is that? It's a practice of magic. And these Israelites who, 
who heard about God from the prophet Isaiah, who, call, who, who had been called by God, they, they started following the sorcerers in Israel for sorcery. And what, what, what they were doing was they, um, they, they, they considered the sorcerers in Israel as men who were more wiser than God. And so they were asking these sorcerers to tell them what tomorrow is preserving for them. And so they were saying, you know, you know what is coming more than God knows. We trust you than God. So tell us about the future. Tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. So their life was with other gods. They were worshiping other gods. They were transgressing God's commandment. They were loving other gods than God. They, they transgressed Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So, listen to this carefully. Their affection, their heart, their soul, and their might was dedicated to the sorcerers in Israel. And God tells them this in verse 6. Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your Lord. To them you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost you have set up your memorial. For deserting me you have uncovered your bed, you have gone up to eat, you have made it wide, and you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed, you have looked on nakedness. I will explain to you what Isaiah is saying here. You come to the homes of these Israelites. And on the doorpost, as you pass by, on the doorpost, you will, you will see the inscription of uh, the Ten Commandments. On that doorpost, as you pass by, you, you read, um, we love God with all our heart, with all our strength, with all our might. Behind the door, sorcerers, sorcery. So God is telling them, you are an adulterer. You are like a husband who has a wife, but he's sleeping with another woman. That's how you're acting. Outside on your doorpost, you're telling everyone who passes by, you love me. But inside, in your bed, you're sleeping with the sorcerers in Israel. You're an adulterer. Isn't that fearful, beloved? 
Do you know what, what this means? What this means is God knows everything that goes in our heart and in our bed. He knows. He knows everything that takes place behind doors. Children, God knows everything that goes on in your heart and behind doors. And it's the same with you and I. We can't hide anything from the eyes of God. But do you see their pride? Do you see their, their arrogance? They were trying to deceive God. But no one can deceive God. And God, God tells them, this is, this is amazing in verse 11, Whom did you dread and fear? So that you lied and did not remember me, uh, did not lay it to, to, to heart. Now listen to this. Have I not held my peace even for a long time? See what God is telling them? My silence doesn't mean that you managed to deceive me. It doesn't mean that you deceived me. My silence means an opportunity for you to repent. That's why I'm silent. That's the reason why I didn't you know, strike you down and you're not dead yet. Because I want you to I want to give you time to repent and feel this remorse in your life. Have I not held my peace even for a long time? And you do not fear me. I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. You know, I, I, through Isaiah, through the other prophets, I have been telling you how you can be delivered from your sin. How you can overcome wickedness. But you refuse to listen. You see, Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 tells us, you know, God's patience means an opportunity for you and I to repent. Even for a long time. God wants us to repent. And lastly, we consider the safety of the righteous. In verse 13, Isaiah says, When you cry out, let your co collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. You know, they, they're not going to save you. The, the sorcerers in Israel, idols in Israel will not save you. They will be destroyed. They will be gone. Now listen to this, beloved. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. No deliverance from your sorcery, but there is deliverance in me. And how is that deliverance? How is God 
our refuge. What, should, what must we do in order to find refuge in God? Consider Psalm 2 together with me. Psalm 2, where the psalmist brings this prophecy about the Messiah, Christ the King. Verse 10 to 12. Now therefore, all kings be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Another term for believe in the Son. Trust in the Son. Rely on the Son. Kiss the Son. What kind of kiss? Kiss for life. Kiss for eternal life. Kiss for mercy. Not Judas' kiss, which was what? The kiss of death. But this is the kiss of faith, trust. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, like the wicked. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, in Christ. How is God our refuge? In Christ, through Christ. Peter gives us a description of that in 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. So, the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, that's Christ, has become the corner stone. If you believe in Christ... You will not stumble, you will not perish in the way forever, but you will be delivered. Christ will become your cornerstone. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.23 said, For Jews demand sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Now listen to this, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So God, Christ serves God's kingdom in two ways. He's a stumbling block to those who do not believe, who doesn't believe, who rejects the message of the gospel. He becomes a stumbling block and he crushes them, he punishes them forever. He's the judge. The Father has given him all authority to judge the righteous and the wicked. But the Father has also given him the authority to save the elect and become their refuge forever. My question to all of you tonight is this. What would you choose? Peace? Joy or eternal destruction and punishment, which is the destiny of the wicked, the destiny of unbelievers, the destiny of religious adulterers. Isaiah is calling 
calling all of us tonight, by God's grace, to do two things. One, to always think about our own deaths. Always to think, you know, think about our own deaths. And what that does in the Christian life is it makes us become fruitful in God's kingdom. We become like those righteous who are an encouragement to God's people. And then when we die, we die the deaths of the saints. Even our deaths will be an example to others who observes us dying. Don't you love saints in their dying moment? And I had several of them in my pastoral ministry. Two people come to my mind. One when she was dying, she was singing Psalm 23. And the one thing that I never lost in the life of that woman was joy. Joy and singing Psalm 23 joyfully with emphasis when she arrived to the verse where the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will not fear. Because you are with me. And then I had a Christian, you know, a righteous man, dying on his deathbed. Caught in Paul, saying, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He was holding my hand and he was repeating this verse from the lips of the Apostle Paul. Pastor, pastor, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What an example. What an example. And then the other thing that we need to consider doing in our Christian life as Christians is to humble ourselves before this almighty God who is the judge of the wicked. Unlike these rebellious Israelites, love him with all our heart, with all our mind. And with all our might. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for your word that always reminds us who we are in Christ Jesus and what is required of us. Whatever we have in our life salvation, forgiveness, grace, mercy, peace, Joy comes from you. It is not our own work, but it is the work of you, our God, through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Thank you, Lord. And now we ask you to grant us your Holy Spirit so that we would take the death of the righteous all the time to the heart and understand it in the light of the scripture. Help us to love you with all our heart, with all our might, and with all our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.